Uh, so March March Madness is coming up soon, right? Uh, sure. Given that it's February fifth, I think that checks out. Yeah, but it's a it's a leap year, so things might be a little <laughs> off, off, off whack. Um, off off by a day, some might say. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I've been mulling it over my head. If uh, I want to put the work into it, making a um, like kind of a Bay Area bad behavior bracket. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> It would mostly be to avoid doing actual work that I should be doing, but I've been I've been throwing around the idea of putting that together. So is that going to be your standard like sixty four? I was going to uh, do a sweet bracket. sixteen because I can't okay. um, be bothered to think. Although I'm sure there are sixty four <laughs> things that um, Northern Californians do that are terrible. But like I, I will give um, a quick example of of two things that would compete head to head. Um, people who in the uh, in a grocery store line will uh put their shopping cart or sh- their shopping basket on the floor and then just kick it as the line moves f- forward. Oh Do you encounter God. that? No. It happens all the time, in particular in San Francisco, not so much in in the suburbs, but there'll be people who just can't can't be bothered, they'll just nudge and kick the the basket with their foot 8 inches as the line moves forward. I, I can I can literally hear like Dan Benjamin screaming somewhere. Dan Benjamin. Well, because you've got the floor, you've got oh, a feet involved. Yeah, I mean, and I I wouldn't blame him for screaming. That's that's gross. Well, so this is a twofer though. So this is, <laughs> this happened last night at the um the the Knob Hill Trader Joe's. So there's somebody who's doing that, but then that combines the thing that I would put it up against, which is people who wear headphones in both ears throughout the entire interaction, including at the payment screen at checkout. Mm, so I think this person just, just loses um, everything? Game of life? I don't know. Or maybe they're winning. <laughs> Who even knows? But I think that would be one of the two six. That would be two of the 16 things. So I'm already 8%. Is that it? 12% there. So can I ask you a related question? If, if it's too mm-hmm. personal, you don't have to answer it. Yeah, so do, you, book. do you consider yourself... A Southern Californian or a Northern Californian? No, no, we, we've talked about this. And I, I even had a tweet about this, and I, I, but Twitter search doesn't work right, where um, I think I posted a couple of years ago saying I've been here seven years and I still consider myself a Southern Californian. And when does the switch flip? Mm-hmm. And then a couple of people that I know who are in the Bay Area replied saying, oh, no, I moved up here in the, in the late 90s and I still feel like I'm from, um, from L.A. or whatever. So I think I'm always going to be a Southern Californian because I don't think Northern California is a real thing. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. So yeah, people are the worst. I, I, the, the headphone thing I, I just don't get. And also the, the people that just wander around San Francisco with noise canceling headphones on from a safety perspective seems not great. Yeah. I, there, you know, there are moments where I'll be out and about and I think, you know, having like the AirPods Pro in this situation would probably be nice. Cause like, I mean, I'm sure you've had this, right? Where if you're wearing your AirPods somewhere and it, it starts to get a little noisy, especially if you're listening to a podcast, sometimes you kind of end up having to like pause what you're listening to until whatever noise is making it so that you can't hear very well stops. But that, but that only happens after you've uh, hit the 15 seconds back button three times three separate times exactly and you're like I haven't, I haven't listened to a word claire malone has said and i need to go back so exactly yeah. yeah um but yeah i just 
the the noise canceling stuff out in the wild. And I, I, you know, the AirPods Pro seems to do some cool stuff, you know, with being able to quickly switch between like noise canceling and transparent mode and all that. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, headphones are particularly noise canceling headphones out in public. Kind of a complicated topic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's it. And the only other frivolous thing is, um, do you? You'd mentioned in Slack, or I had posted a couple of things where I was at the gym and I was uh, punishing my both because I'm punishing my body, but also punishing my brain by watching MSNBC and the caucus results. Oh, and so they kept showing because they had no news to report, so they had Steve Kornacki at the the gigantic Microsoft branded touchscreen uh, talking about the 2016 election, and they just pretending like the uh, the Bernie Sanders Hillary Clinton caucus was happening all over again, but. Um, Mayor Pete did a weird thing where, and unfortunately it turned out that he was right mostly because in the caucus, is it now 100% reporting or is it still like the second wave of partial results? I, the, the last number I had seen was 71%. Has there been more that's come out since then? I have no idea, but that, that sounds about right. Um, but yeah, uh, during that night, Mayor Pete kept, he, he decided just to give a victory speech with 0% of the precincts reporting, which was just bananas. But unfortunately, it, it looks like he mostly the internal data that his his team had was was correct. But that is a ballsy move. But the reason I bring that up is it feels like um, we're probably now going to have um, we're going to have to see the Mayor Pete dance way more. And that's that's a little upsetting. What is the Mayor Pete dance? I don't know. This. I was a, I knew that you weren't going to know because unfortunately you you spend more time on Twitter than I do, but you spend more time on the less bad parts of Twitter. Yes. And that that that's a compliment sandwich. So thanks. Send, send you a link. <laughs> so it's only like a 10 second clip so you can just watch it immediately and you'll people can pretend they're listening to the song High Hopes by Panic at the Disco. Okay. And there's a dance that um his campaign workers do to get themselves psyched up. Uh, mm. And it's certainly something. Uh, uh, mm. It's as interesting and bland as this entire campaign and manufactured persona. So I, 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 I endorse this. Okay, I am putting this in the notes, and I'm immediately closing this tab. Command W. <laughs> From our keyboard shortcut conversation, has Command W stuck yet or no? No, I just used my mouse. Oh, God. <laughs> with, with, with things that are going to change for you in the next week or so, you're going to get, have to get better at one-hand computing. So I think you're going to need to you're going to need to get better at the command Q, command W, command H lifestyle. So you should get on that in the next 24 to 48 hours. Well, I think for a while I think there's probably just not going to be a computer involved, but but your point's taken. Mm. Oh, cuz you're switching to an iPad. <laughs> cuz you want to get some real work done. Well, I mean, I have to I have to set a good example for my kid, Carlos. Mm, cuz she Oh, what was the what was the was it Phil uh, Philly Ive? What's his name? Phil Schiller or was it uh, Eddie Q? The one who said kids can't learn if they're using Chromebooks. So yeah, you do you do have to to get uh, the kid set up early on iPads, otherwise won't succeed. Yeah, and what's a computer? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what do we have? For, let me go back to the doc. Uh, yeah, I'll let you run follow up this week. Um, so this is a topic we haven't touched on in quite a while. Um which is the first San Francisco location of your favorite fast food restaurant, Shake Shack. 
This has been the long-awaited location. I guess it's technically Cow Hollow, although I, I still kind of just think of that whole area as being the marina. Um, Where, where's the where's the cutoff allegedly? Well, that's that's Venice? kind of what makes it confusing. I I don't know. Mm. Um, Union Street, maybe. I I don't know. Oh, so it's a north-south, not an east-west thing. I believe so. Oh, it is. No, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. So it's basically south of Lombard is Cow Hollow. Or, okay. yeah, or Lombard. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so this location in Cow Hollow slash the marina opened. But I guess the thing that I f- found interesting, which I didn't know, is that Shake Shack does this thing where each location will have something that's sort of like regional specific. So the example that this NBC Bay Area article gives is that they have a what they call Golden State Double Burger, which is made with beef from like some um, local um, location, and they've also got some like <laughs> location. All right. We're on to show titles early. I like the R- Richard's Grass Fed Beef um, is the exact name. And they've got some beers from um, local breweries. But I guess the point here is I, I did not realize the the local angle to Shake Shack. Like when I've been to the Larkspur one, there wasn't anything on the menu that stood out other than the fact that they sell wine, which I, I do remember thinking like, oh, maybe that's kind of just like a California thing or something. Now that's a nationwide thing. Okay. So then, yeah, I don't know what's unique on the Larkspur menu. Do they have a smart burger? Smart Train Burger? Okay. We had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> what? Show's, show's over. That's fine. Yeah, because I don't think that's actually a thing. Because I've been to Shake Shacks and here, LA and DC, and I've never seen the menu change. I've noticed that some have the, um, what are they called? They have Shake Shack dog bones. And I don't think every location has those. Oh yeah, the Wolf menu at Shake Shack. Yeah, the I mean this this article that I that I'll put in the notes says what sets this particular burger chain apart from the masses is its model for making each restaurant's menu unique to the locale, collaborating with regional food and beverage makers to give it its more local flavor. This is t- entirely unrelated, but this made me think of it, so I'm still I'm going to shoehorn this into the show anyway. Um, it seems like Shake Shack should do some version of like a puppuccino. Um, but make it more dog friendly. And I'm going to send a thing that has nothing to do with nothing, but just, I want to give um, a shout out to a show. Nobody listens to uh, for the Instagram account of dog with a sign. Cause it's kind of the best. <laughs> so we can just move right past this, but I, he, he's my fave and I'm going to forget by the time we get to chef specials. So just throwing that out there. All right. It's in the notes. Sorry. I interrupted. Uh, no, I, I think, I think that's it. Um, Shake Shack, you know, continues to be fine but the 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 craze around it's not something i really get is there a craze oh yeah i mean it's people go people go nuts i wouldn't go that far i just think it's mainly that they are a brand that has chosen to scale slowly which is is a very unbay area thing so yeah they just they just maybe maybe it's the um uh the perceived exclusivity of it maybe that makes it unique i assume it's gonna it's, it'll blow over soon well let me let me know when a dunkin donuts opens an sf then we can Ooh, talk. hold on hey ooh, you just reminded me of something so 
this where did this come from i forget where where i saw this but were you aware or have we talked about dunkin donuts fries uh the donut fries yeah that's what i said dunkin donut fries (laughs) um i there's no pause but there should have been but i think it was you that i talked about this with i do remember these being a thing yeah yeah so i don't think the america needs any more duncan i think <laughs> i think we, should, we i think this is why we have um party line votes in congress because we're all too too polarized about stuff like this <laughs> uh this is impeachable though so right yeah somebody with an ice latte that they're holding at a 90 degree angle and um a bunch of they just look like churros basically i can't really tell what they i can't get an idea i can't imagine in my head what the consistency or texture of these would like be like i mean listen i i'm a well-documented fan of dunkin donuts or, or duncan i guess as they go by now you run on it i i, I do and i i literally invest in it so i guess in full disclosure i own dunkin donuts stock well uh, you picked the um, wrong stock for the month of january <laughs> yeah um but if you're going there for the food, you're making a mistake. Food, the foods, uh, it's okay at best. And the the donuts are, you know, they're fine. But you go there for the coffee. Hmm. Okay, I thought it was the reverse, but yeah, mm, interesting. Yeah, you go there for the coffee. So wait, so is Dunkin' Donuts not a thing in Northern California? Not really. There's um the one down by the airport. There's one out in uh like Walnut Creek, I think. Um, and I, I think those are still the only two Bay Area locations. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, went, I went to that one down by SFO shortly after it opened a few years ago and got a Dunkin' Donuts Bay Area t-shirt that is one of my favorite sleeping t-shirts. Fun, fun fact. Sleeping t-shirt? Yeah, you know, I mean, come on. We've all got, like, I mean, the, for you, I'd imagine this would be, like, a bunch of, like, threadless shirts that, like, you used to wear out in public a handful of years ago, but now you only wear, you know, when you go to bed. No, I I, I have specific t- uh, t-shirts purchased just for the idea of sleeping, but... Yeah. Um, let, that's, no, no, but they... So, I guess, so, let's pull on that thread a little bit. <laughs> Th- thread Threadless? No, no, I... No, no, I'm proud of what I said. Okay. Um, so wait, are you, do you, do you, um, believe in, uh, the only type of sleep shirt is something that used to be a regular shirt? Is that your, your stance? Well, so that Dunkin' Donuts shirt, as an example, that was bought with the specific intent of being a sleep I'm gonna shirt. Sl- <laughs> you um, told the person at the register, I'm going to sleep in this. I did. Yeah. They thought that was kind of weird, but whatever. But some shirts uh, are be- are regular shirts, and then they get um, – it's not really a demotion. It's just kind of, um, you know, what, what's the um, – did you, did you watch the um, Guide Dogs for the Blind documentary? No. Although it sounds like something I'd be into. Oh, it, oh it's, it's wonderful. I highly, highly recommend it. Who made it? It's on – Sorry, what is, where is it available to watch? I think iTunes. It's not like I think you have you have to like rent it. Oh, okay. Um, but I but when the um when a dog is going through the program and they end up not being a good fit to become a guide dog, they get sort of like it's not it's not canceled out or um they they have some very like friendly term for it, which is yeah, they get I, reassigned. I yeah, basically. 
Um, that's what, that's kind of what happens to t-shirts sometimes. You think this is what people tune in for? Uh, I'm not sure they tune in at all. <laughs> or, I mean, I, I think they download. I, I, I yeah, I, yeah, they, they, they download it. Uh, I mean, I, it, with, you know, with content like this, it's, it's a miracle, uh, or it's, it's, it's shocking that I Spotify see, I hasn't. Your, I could see your cursor moving. I already know where you're going with this. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Spotify, uh, bought the ringer. Those rumors from a handful of weeks ago ended up being true. Um, and I was kind of reading around a little bit today and it, well, I mean, we'll, we'll wait and see, like we'll pull a 538 and kind of wait for more data, but I don't know the initial impression I got from this seems like kind of a worst case scenario where Spotify is purchasing the company outright, both the podcast network and the website, strangely. And there was no immediate confirmation of like, no, 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 like, you know, all of the podcasts that are out there, they'll continue to be available through, you know, your normal RSS feeds and other, you know, forms that folks get podcasts through. Like there was really no solid confirmation of that. So like adding that all together kind of makes me nervous about the future of these podcasts. I still don't think that Spotify is all of a sudden going to take the Bill Simmons podcast and make it a Spotify exclusive. But I don't know. I'm, I, I don't know quite what to make of this. Yeah. I mean, like I said, two weeks ago when the, uh, during their, uh, well, I mean, since the Gimlet acquisition, it's basically been business as usual. It's just that those shows now suggest instead of, Hey, like subscribe wherever you find your podcast, it says subscribe on Spotify. Like that said, they like they've changed like the ad copy a little bit. And I assume if, Spotify eventually like it has to turn the screws uh, or uh, ramp up like the cash flow machine. Like they would maybe do a thing where the back catalog is exclusive to Spotify, or maybe there's a one day early release thing. But yeah, I don't, I don't. Th- they seem to have been really good stewards of the companies they've purchased so far, and I really don't see them turning anything into a Spotify exclusive. Yeah, I I hope not. I I agree. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But again, like I just I would have felt better if that was just made more clear up front. But but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, and it's in their interest to have anything they purchase for podcasting um, standpoint to be um, to continue to be listened to because again, that just saves them money on music royalties. So why why mess it up? True. Yeah. Um. So we kind of buried the lead here. What's that? And we we should have started with you know the biggest topic. Oh, I forgot maybe, about this. Yeah, maybe. Oh, it's been a long week. It's, it's oh it's, man, it's so so important that you've forgotten about it. Cancel the entire show or everything else. Let's right. delete the outline. So you, oh, man. so you, so I and you know just a little like peek behind the curtains. I, I think people like that sometimes here. You so in in the in the thing in our Slack, you simply just out of the blue sent me an image of a whale with a bunch of the you know, rotating red lights. And I felt like it was kind of a, a cool moment for our friendship because without any additional context, I knew exactly <laughs> what had happened and what you were referring to. I think everybody would know. <laughs> it's um, so clear. <laughs> but I would love to know what the details are here. You've you found your white whale. I have. And do you know who found it for me? 
Oh, it's got to be Amazon, I assume. Oh, I, I did? Remember you posted it during like CES? You Oh, it was the one that was backordered. Yeah. So I kept it in my cart on S- Amazon. Sateki or something? Yeah, and that's a brand that I've only ever had familiarity with. Man, Lightroom is just crawling today. Um, uh, I'd only ever purchased a case for my iPhone 5S from them. So that's when I was like, is this like a brand comparable to Anchor that I would trust stuff with? Um, and apparently I do. So let me, so let me export this. So yeah, so we've talked about at length my search for the perfect travel charger. Basically, I just want one thing that will allow me to charge the following. A 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, a Google Pixel 3, or a Sony mirrorless camera, an Apple Watch, and an iPhone. That's all I want. And I just want one thing that will charge all that stuff. And that's actually not that hard to find now that the laptop is USB-C, and it's just pretty easy at that point. The problem that I've had for so many months, or actually going on probably like two years now, is that if you are using the laptop like at maximum load, like you're doing stuff in Lightroom where the processor is just at 100% the entire time, it will, if if the charger that you're using does not have the ability to supply 60 watts consistently, the laptop will either not charge or the battery will drain while it's plugged in, which for many reasons is a big uh, not, no, no. So um, before I was using a thing called the Anchor PD-1 Atom, which was, I think it in total could provide like 75 watts, but realistically, if you had more than one thing plugged into it, it would only provide 30 watts. And if you were doing stuff in Lightroom, like if you were at the end of the day and you were pulling a bunch of photos off and doing stuff, your battery on your laptop would go from 100 to dead while plugged in like in an hour, which was not ideal. So then there was a new version of that same charger that was the anchor that you you also posted that was allegedly able to provide like 95 or 100 watts. But as we talked about um, maybe two weeks ago, it suffered the same problem where if you plugged in anything else that drew more than five, like basically if I was charging anything other than just simply an iPhone, it would then reduce the laptop charge to 43 watts, which again is not 60. So then you posted this thing that came out at CES from a company called Sateki, and it allegedly provides 108 watts. And it does. And under full load, it will recharge a laptop, not merely keep it at the same power level. It will fast charge a USB-C Android phone or fast charge a Sony camera at the same time as charging an Apple Watch and an iPhone. It does everything I want, and it's perfect. And very few things in life are perfect. <laughs> this is. And I love it. I'm so happy. You have the Amazon link handy? I can go to my order tab in 10 seconds. That's a, it's a nice photo you sent me. Oh, yeah. Uh, here it is. Take off all the Amazon tracking info. Uh, and then it's here. Uh, do you ever review your Amazon purchases? trying to think if i ever have i don't i don't think i actually ever have so i rarely do i reviewed this because it's great so happy i am you have no idea how 
annoying it is. This goes kind of to the whole USB-C ecosystem just being a crapshoot and also compounded by the half the stuff on Amazon is basically just like drop shift, drop shipped, like weird name, uh, no name stuff from China. It's so f- difficult to find reliably a thing that does the thing that you want these days. And this does it. And I'm so, so happy. Hmm. So thank you. No, you're you're welcome. And two people have already found your review helpful, which is great. You're welcome, we're, people. We're we're helping people here. Mm-hmm. Who who who's who's the schmuck that gave us one star? Get out of here. <laughs> Does not charge the 16 inch MacBook Pro full speed. Get out because it's a 90 watt laptop. Get out of here. Boo! Not helpful. Um. All right. Yeah. So uh, my next white whale is going to be a messenger bag that is better than the first generation peak design everyday messenger because i'm unfortunately sending back the generation two one because it's worse in every single way so bummed i think every every bag is bad but the peak design bags are less bad yeah but it's the the issue is that the first like the one that i've been using for the past two years um is just it's really good it's just there were very small things that could have been improved and it sounded like this was going to improve on them but they just I don't get like their like their design philosophy like it seems like it's always aligned with what it should be but like the new stuff they're putting out just is worse and I can't think of what the advantages are except for the um the sling line where like again you you suggested it and the 6 liter sling is absolutely perfect and I don't know how they could have improved on the 5 liter sling to the 6 and made it so much better and this messenger bag is just decidedly worse in every way. That's a bummer. And the worst part is I think I'm going to have to rebuy the same bag just because the one that I have is getting a little bit worn. Like, and that's after two years of heavy use, but it's always a bummer to have to rebuy literally the same thing. Do they still sell the first gen one or are you going to have to get it like third party? I think they still sell it and they do have it in the uh, the cool heritage tan color I like. but. And that was the problem with the new one, where it only comes in the the boring ass gray and um, all black colors. Yeah, their their color options sometimes are a bit frustrating. But that's the other thing where the uh, the six liter sling that I got comes in this nifty uh, midnight blue color. It's great. I very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh well, what do we got? Okay, so yeah, so that that's the that's the show for me. I'm just well, I'm I'm. I completely forgot about this. Oh, okay. So let's talk about your white whale. Or not really yeah. your white whale, but basically just your... Um, who was the guy who had to um, roll the boulder up the hill and then God pushes it down the hill? What's what's the thing? Is it Greek? What is it? <laughs> Sisyphus? Is that a thing? I have no idea what you're talking about. Sisyphus was a cruel Greek king. Thank you, Google. Who was punished, uh, punished to push a large rock up a steep hill only to find it rolling back on nearing the top ever since he has been known for yeah whatever thank you so yeah sisyphus that's what i'm talking how about the, how the hell do you remember that i don't know i paid attention it's seventh grade and then i stopped paying attention and that's why <laughs> life turned out the way it did. um yeah who, who was the one who flew close to, too close to the sun wasn't that walter white well, you're using on, that, that, that you're was, using that, that pretty as, good right i thought i thought that is, was pretty good it is but you're using that as an excuse to hide not remembering who icarus is yeah all right it's a partial credit uh thank you um tell me about habitat for humanity so 
two Hugh Bridges. I, I've been alluding to this for weeks that going into this process, I knew there was going to be some complications because Phillips themselves only sort of loosely supports the idea of multiple bridges. And I totally get why, because I'm sure it's like the edgiest of edge cases. Um, and the, the area that I was most concerned about, just based on kind of what I had seen from people who had tried it on Reddit, was the lady in a can integration with multiple hue bridges. Because the issue is the hue lady in a can skill requires you to authenticate with your Philips Hue account credentials. And your account credentials are specific to a hub. You can't use the same credentials for multiple hubs. Can I stop so, you there? Yeah. So to configure the second Hubridge, do you have to like get a separate email address? Like, what, what do you mean? Uh, so you don't actually need to have a Philips Hue account on on your hub unless you want to either access it remotely out, outside your home. Or if you want to hook into third-party services like the lady in a can. Got it. So people had some suggestions, as they do on Reddit. So suggestion number one was you could set up a second Philips Hue account, which you could then use as your credentials for your second bridge. And then with the lady in a can skill, what you do is you authenticate your first bridge. All of the lights that are associated with that first bridge will then show up in the um, Amazon Alexa app. Then you log out from the Lady in a Can skill, and then you log back in with your second credentials, or the credentials on your second Hue bridge. And some people have reported that all of their lights then across both bridges are accessible. But others, and this is what I experienced, is when you log out of the credentials from your first bridge, those lights disappear and are no longer accessible. And what you're left with is only being able to control the lights that are on your second bridge. So that didn't work. So then some other people suggested, well, you can just sort of forego the Philips Hue skill and just have your bulbs detected as smart home devices, which the lady in a can can do even without the um skill enabled so what you do there is you you know the how the the bridge has like that big button on the top of it so you press that and then you click on discover devices in the um, amazon alexa app and then the bulbs will just show up so i clicked the button on both uh, hue bridges and sure enough all of the lights showed up i thought oh great and then the only li unknown limitation with that is you don't get to have access to like your scenes and stuff that you set in the Philips Hue um, app, which I don't use a ton of anyway. So that would have been fine. But the problem there was that I think the lady in a can was just like getting constantly confused because basically like just some random subset of all my lights would just stop being. Um, accessible so like if you would say like turn on the family room lights only like five of the eight lights would turn on 
and like the, the which lights were responsive and which were not kind of just randomly changed <laughs> depending on like the time of day. So I'm like, well, okay, this is this isn't going to work either. So started poking around a little bit more, and some people use the um, Samsung Smart Things Hub, which basically <laughs> is a like a smart home hub that you can like connect other smart home devices to and kind of centralize them into a single hub. But like, I didn't, I didn't really want to go down the Samsung route and um, had seen some kind of mixed reviews about how well that worked. So then like, you know, as I was looking at the smart home option or the smart things option, rather, I came across this other hub called as you alluded to earlier the Hubitat, which kind of markets itself as being like the next generation of the smart things hub because the smart things hub is is older now and, and the Hubitat elevation hub is newer but the idea is kind of the same where it can basically hook into a bunch of third-party um, smart home devices including philips hue and specifically in my use case, what it can do is connect to both of my bridges, consolidate all of my lights across both bridges, basically into its system. And then it has a lady in a can skill that makes all of the lights that it has access to accessible to the lady in a can. And it works. And it works almost flawlessly the only minor annoyance is that it's a little slower than the native philips hue skill is so it takes you know a half beat longer for lights to respond it's not the end of the world it's a little annoying but it's seemingly rock solid um was really really easy to set up like i had it up and running in like less than half an hour and this was after like hours and hours and hours of <laughs> trying to get it to work in all the other ways i described here for eight, for 80 bucks you know not a not a bad solution any subscription fees no subscription fees just 80 bucks for the hub um the other thing that I kind of liked about it too is that there's no like cloud component to it. So it's all just running like on my local network. So, you know, pretty secure, I guess. Well, um, so then that's, that's the, the two follow-up questions that I had with, to go back a step with the Philips Hue native skill, if I recall correctly, it has to go to the internet first and then it's actually controlling the lights through like the hue.com API. Is that wrong or right? I, you know, I, I don't know for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure. And I guess real-time follow-up, there actually is, and there's like an online account component to the Hubitat. And I did have to use that to, to log into the Lady in a Can skill that it has. So yeah, I guess there are some kind of web APIs involved somehow. And then my second question was, does it have an app? Because I assume at this point, then you can't really use iConnectHue or or it wouldn't make sense to use iConnectHue or the Hue app. So does it have its own set? I know you don't really interact with the lights anyway, like in, in ways other than just the switches or by voice. But if you wanted to do it on your phone, do you need a separate app? 
Well, well, I mean, I can access the lights just through like the home app through HomeKit, um, but I can also continue to access them through the native Hue app or through iConnectU, which like things don't somehow get out of sync with Habitat. No, because like, do, do you set up scenes in Habitat? No. Do, could you if you wanted to? It, I I think there is. I think there was some option to be able to not only detect lights um, on your Philips Hue bridges, but I think you could also detect scenes. I I was so desperate just to get my lights to work that I <laughs> I haven't tried to do anything more kind of exotic than that, but I think there is a way to make that work, yeah. But Habitat does allow you to say, like, these are these are the lights that belong in, like, the bedroom group or something. Yes. Well, so th- that you actually, that you can just set up right in the um alexa app so you (laughs) i made it all this made it almost all the way through without setting it off um you basically through hubitat you just make all of the lights available and then you can group them in the lady in a can app so you know i'll take so that the office lights here i've got four lights in this room and they just show up as four separate lights and then i group them together as the office and then so when i say hey lady in the can turn the office lights on it knows to turn these four lights on if you had a home pod it would start playing the office on netflix <laughs> that's right okay well that's cool i'm glad that they're so wait, what's what's the well, let me go to habitat what is what is their like selling point because like, i assume they don't market this as hey this is a box for edge case you have 50 plus lights like what is their main uh, value proposition. So their kind of tagline here is home automation that is local, reliable, fast, and private. Um, I I think what you're kind of like supposed to do, it's almost like, it's almost like HomeKit basically. Like it basically just connects into a bunch of different smart home stuff, lets all of that stuff, even if they're on like disparate systems. So if you've got like your Google Nest stuff over here, and then you've got your um, Philips Hue stuff over there. I mean, that's that's not a perfect example because I, I actually think there is like an integration directly between those two smart home products. But like say that there wasn't similar in the way that HomeKit brings stuff together. You can connect all your smart home stuff to this hub and then do a bunch of like actions and stuff across different platforms. And hmm, so I'm browsing their website, and if you go down to, if you're on the home automation page, I'm scrolling down, and they have their um, like big hero image the, of the buy now thing. Well, look, the curious part for me is that it says uh, the reliable, fast, and private home automation system you've always wanted is here. Get it now for the introductory price of eighty dollars. So is this a brand new thing, and is it going to be supported long term? Because this makes it, that that phrase of inf- introductory price makes me think this is like a Kickstarter thing that's going to be around for 12 months. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had the option of getting it two day Amazon prime shipped. So after, you know, many hours of trying to get all of my lights to work with the lady in a can and it not working, I'm like, well, I'm going to buy this thing. If it doesn't work, I'll just return it. And it worked. So I'm not going to ask any questions beyond that. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I like it. Um, But I think like this, 
basically serves as exhibit A as to why home smart home stuff is stupid because my I think I said this in the in the slack like the fact that the solution to supporting two hue bridges in my setup was to go out and buy a third bridge from a different provider is remarkably dumb so smart home stuff is bad that's that's the lesson here yeah i'm still on their website you need to tell me when you uh have time to play around with rule machine whatever that is well i I don't know what that is apparently their website is hyping it up so i think any any type of automation is goes through rule machine Hmm. yeah what is a fibaro (laughs) anyway i can close this tab uh cool so i'm glad i'm glad we both found what we needed in life (laughs) for very very specific niche technology things yes uh, I don't think we really have time to talk about this, but I'm, I'm curious about one of the addendum items that you added to the docket. So there was a link in, or there was a link, there was a story in Fast Company about, you remember Mint? Or I don't know if you still I use do. it. do, yeah. Do you still use it? No. Do you still have an account that's pulling in data from accounts that you haven't changed the password to? God, I hope not. I don't think, I don't think so. I think when I stopped using Mint, I cleared all that stuff out. Yeah, I think mine's still pulling into it. But yeah, basically, like Mint was a really um, neat startup that was um, kind of from the tail end of the Web 2.0 days, but it had the promise of, hey, we'll give you insight and analytics into your spend across multiple riders and all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was really neat. And then um, one of the like the most evil companies possible bought it. So Intuit bought it in 2009. And for the past decade, just basically nothing's happened to it. So this uh, this article has kind of a good look as to why that is um, from Rob Pegararo, who's a, who's a good personal tech author. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of weird that they just kind of didn't go anywhere. Um, and it's a product that could have probably provided a lot of value to a lot of people, but yeah, into it, just kind of just let it wither and, and die and basically just be this weird lead gen tool for like TurboTax. So anyway, people should go read that, but the interesting part in here was that you have something, I think maybe a year ago you made like Quicken 2017 or 365 or whatever, um, a chef special. Cause you, you liked the way it allowed you to do again, local, uh, finance management. So I'm interested. I don't use it for anything super sophisticated. I, I don't really do much in the way of like budgeting or anything like that. It's, it's just a really simple, quick way for me to be able to, pull in transactions from all of my different credit cards and bank accounts and review them. Again, not so much for like budgeting, but just like, you know, I've found credit card fraud a couple of times just simply by making it a regular habit of, you know, reviewing transactions. And it lets you, you know, mark each transaction off as reviewed or like add some additional notes. It's just, I don't know, I find it to be a very nice thing to do be like once or twice a week. Um, but the, you know, the, the unfortunate thing that's happened recently, which I got the kind of email reminder for last week is Quicken, like every other piece of software on the planet is moving towards a subscription only model. So had I not upgraded to the Quicken membership program where Kind of similar to Adobe Cloud, you basically just pay this annual fee and then you continue to get access to the most recent version of their software. 
um, if I did, if I chose not to do that in the case of Quicken, then all of the uh, downloading of um, financial institution records, so from like my credit cards and bank accounts and everything, would stop working, <laughs> which is like kind of the main reason I use it. Um, so I had to cave and sign up for their Quicken membership thing. And it just, it, it ties, I think, really closely into the conversations that were happening over this last week, including on Upgrade around Fantastical, which also kind of went down a similar, although a little bit different, uh, subscription path over the past week. But it just, you know, it just, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer. That's the way things are going. Like, I'm not outraged by it or anything, but, um... I kind of just wish there was like a better way. <clears throat> yeah, you're you're right. I think the biggest issue for me related to this is just like I, I don't, and I, I I take your point that it's not like you feel there was a better way, but it's difficult for the people to put in a whole bunch of effort and basically have one time payoff for software that needs continuous development, and to hopefully have to like hold back really innovative features you could ship early because you want to have like real bangers that allow somebody to find it compelling to upgrade to version seven or whatever. But with like the way the app store works, Apple makes it really, really hard to do like new feature release versions where you don't basically just give stuff away to people in perpetuity. But like my issue with this is that like, I don't mind subscription software. It's just that there's a threshold for how useful and how, how often I use something to make it worth it. And that's where, like, I have perpetual licenses to Fantastical, and I'm not going to sign up for their thing just because, like, I'm just not in my calendar that much, and I just don't want to. But then, like, I mean, I pay whatever $40 a month for, like, Adobe Creative Cloud because, like, I use Photoshop and Lightroom and Audition and a bunch of other apps rarely frequently. And, and Adobe is one of the companies that has such a compelling software suite where you kind of can't. So like I don't know like it, it's the but the problem here is that software that you it may, you can now basically no longer there's a there's a whole class of software that you kind of can't support anymore just cuz like there are things that um like I'm trying to think of what's what's a good app that that's an example of this like um Airtable like it's 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 a subscription service natively so it's probably a bad example but like I would like to pay for that but their pro plan starts at $20 a month and it has a lot of features and stuff I don't really need and a couple things I would want to, but it's just not something that I live my life in or run my business off of where I just can't like, can't fathom being somebody who pays $20 a month for something that I'm getting 90% of what I need from on a free plan. So I think like it's, there's just a whole lot of apps that I think it's, we're going to get to a point where it's just like, in the same way that we talk about cord cutting is going to end up being a really bad deal for a lot of people because you're just now going to subscribe to 12 different over-the-top services. There's a lot of software that you might have maybe paid $5, $10, $20 once for that you now, like no rational person is going to be like, I'm not paying $6 a month for this. There's just that class of software that unless it's 1 million percent vital to like how you work, that you're not going to ever pay for now. So it's 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 a tricky tricky situation, and I totally find like I understand why 
to run a business and support development on software, you need more predictable and reliable income. But I don't know. It just feels like there, I wish there was some, like this, this would be the only good productive use of AI, like figure out a way where you can suss out how much a customer actually needs your software and find a way for them to pay commensurate to that. I guess. So I'll use like three, three examples. So I think like one password as the good example mm -hmm. is a piece of software that like, I wish I could give them more of my money. Like they, I feel like the subscription fee I pay to them is a hundred percent worth it. The software gets regularly updated with interesting features that I end up using. It's just, it's, it's a great piece of software that I'm happy to continuously pay for. And it's a steal at like $36 a year. And yeah, and it's well-priced to boot. Exactly. Um, but then you have like these other kind of extremes that are kind of bad examples and or uh, examples of where I think the subscription stuff kind of breaks down a little bit for me. So like in your example of having software where you're not really utilizing all of the new features, like so maybe like this new version of Fantastical, then the subscription model for you doesn't really make a lot of sense because like why would you pay these ongoing fees for features that you're not really going to use. Or in the case of Quicken, the other thing that I kind of forgot to mention was that when I did go through this upgrade process the other day, I thought like, well, okay, like, you know, I'm, I'm on Quicken 2017, like at least by getting into this Quicken membership program, I'll get Quicken 2020. Surely that must be a nice improvement over Quicken 2017. It literally looked exactly <laughs> the same. <laughs> like, I'm sure there are new features and things that are different, but I haven't found them yet. So it's just, it's kind of like, well, geez, okay. So I'm paying this ongoing fee to basically get access to the same thing that I used to just be able to pay one time for, <laughs> which is just kind of a crummy feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. And again, I understand the business problem here. Um, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't want them to, I don't want a company to have to feel like they need to manufacture a bunch of like frivolous and, and edge case features just to make it seem worth it. But also, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's gotta be some sliding scale. Like you can't, I know you can't like say like how many minutes a month do you use our software, but there's gotta be some way to figure out who is, who is your power user that lives off your software and who, I don't know. I don't know. It's an interesting problem. And I think Apple, not to make this the blame Apple podcast, but I think App Store economics have hastened this so much more just because Apple has made it real. They won. They've driven down the cost of software to, so the customers basically think everything should be a dollar or $5 or whatever, if that. Um, and they've also been really dragging their feet to create ways inside the App Store for people to make money off their software. Like subscription apps and in-app purchases are a fairly new thing. Like other than like the very rudimentary, like buy a bag of 50 jewels for this game for $20. Like that's been around forever. But the whole you can pay $6 to unlock this app for years is fairly new and also still not a great way to, to charge for software. <sighs> and yeah, Fantastical 3, meh. I don't know. I, I, I turned off that weather thing immediately. And I don't, I don't, I don't see why, like in and a lot of apps do this. I don't see why knowing the weather is, is useful for calendars. I, 
still am super unclear about <laughs> what's included as part of the update that they rolled out to the existing software that I've paid for versus what I get when I subscribe. Calendar sets are one thing that apparently you get if you subscribe. But the thing is, calendar sets have existed on Fantastical for the Mac. So basically now they've basically just told me, fuck off, you can't use. We finally brought feature parity for this kind of cool thing, unless you pay like $6 a month or whatever it is. And calendar sets are a neat thing where I can basically say, hey, show me my core calendars of what have to be done. And then I also have my like future events and background calendar, which is just like information for me to use while like planning my calendar events and stuff. And that's a feature I use on the Mac, but it doesn't sync. And I would have to pay $6 a month for that to happen now, which which sucks and I'm not going to do. Hmm. Uh, um, want to talk about Tesla for a minute? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, you buy their stock? I did not, no. Mm. Seems like you should have. Or maybe I shouldn't have. Or maybe you should have. I don't know. It's It's, it's gone from... Six-month performance in August of 2016, $230. A high yesterday of 887 I don't know. What what changed? Has your car become four times as good? <laughs> Wasn't it down like 20% today, though? It was down 17%, but that's only because yesterday's run-up was a bunch of short covering because nobody thinks this, this run-up is real because it's not. But yeah, it went from $650 to 887 in the course of four days. Sorry, two bit two business days. Seems not. Seems not great. Yeah. So so th- that's been a whole story. Um, and I, whenever stuff happens like this, it always is is annoying and kind of uh, disconcerting because it you get all you know like all the Bitcoin people, all the people that think like there's this one. You just need to know this one trick to just make money in markets, right? Like it's people throwing their life savings into a company where the fundamentals of the business haven't changed. And I do think, and we've talked about in the past, I think Tesla is a really important company and they've done more to advance electric vehicles than anybody else and blah, blah, blah. But this, this whole thing of is just, is just nonsense. But the one real story that we can talk about is uh, that the model Y, uh, which is their crossover, which again, like I, I, you, you brought this up in Slack where I still can't really picture its size just because every image just looks so much like a model three that somebody just kind of went in Photoshop and just like did a 10% increase in the vertical like proportions. Like I can't, I just can't tell what it looks like, but apparently, yeah, the, this crossover is going to be hitting the market a lot earlier than people thought it would. And they have done something to up the range slightly. Yeah. So it's up to, um, a little over 300 miles of range, like 350 miles of range now, at least with certain models. And they're, yeah, going to start shipping these things, at least in some limited capacity in March, which is it's interesting because when it was first unveiled, it was sort of talked about as a late 2020 product. Um, so the fact that you know, Tesla, which has famously missed deadlines in the past, is actually pushing the shipping of Model Ys up. And again, we'll we'll see exactly what that means. It, it might be kind of a slow, long ramp up, but nonetheless, kind of interesting. Um, mostly just because, yeah, I'm excited to actually like see one of these out on the road and get a sense for like how much bigger it is. Like I'd love to, I'd love to actually like sit in one. Um, 
just because it is really hard to tell in pictures how much bigger it is. Like some pictures make it seem barely bigger than a Model 3. Some pictures make it seem like close to a Model X. Like it's it's kind of all over the place. Um, so I'm really I'm really intrigued to see what it ends up being. And the I guess the production model did end up varying a bit from the version that they had in the initial announcement. Not significantly, but um, nonetheless, another factor into what kind of why I want to see the final product. Yeah. Uh, vaguely related, I'm going to promote something from the grab bag thing that you posted earlier today. Um, apparently, there's going to be a way to use your iPhone to unlock cars in the future. Yeah. Which is interesting. Well, it's it's the thing that stood out to me about this is that it was discovered as part of iOS 13.4, which that seems like a really strange feature to put out in a point release. Like that seems like something you'd love to be able to talk about on stage during a keynote while talking about iOS 14. So I'm not really sure what to make of that. But because it's a um, a car hardware feature, because like what what cars have NFC tags like built into the door or whatever it is, because that's like th- that's the thing where the car has to support this. So you, we saw how like it feels like a CarPlay has had massive adoption really quickly for what is generally a very stodgy and um, long lead time industry like of like vehicles. So. Yeah, and I feel like this is going to take a very, 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 very long time to actually come out. So this, that's where I don't feel that they could tout this as a massive feature as part of iOS 14 because it will probably be one of those things that's supported by like one very, very specific version of the C-Class from Mercedes or something. It's going to be like so, so limited. And then in four years, it'll be a, it'll be a commonplace because people will want it. Yeah, that's that's fair. How does the Tesla thing work? Like they they give you a little credit card that what what is the do you know what the underlying technology is with that? Is it NFC? Yeah, that's that's well NFC slash RFID. Um, I don't know if that I don't know if there's a difference between the two. Um, some kind of local wireless connection like that. Yeah, so you you get two of these little credit card looking things which you can use to unlock the car. Um, or if you want to set up a phone as a key, you also have to have one of these cards, which you put kind of underneath the center console area, uh, which then kind of unlocks the ability to add more, um, phone based keys. Um, and then really the only other reason to use the, that little card then like in regular use is if you're, uh, parking in a valet only lot. Um, or, or I guess if your phone dies, um, <clears throat> I've actually, it's, it's become one of my favorite features of the model three. I love having my phone be my key. Um, and it's, it's become super reliable now. It was always pretty reliable, but it's, it's pretty much rock solid now. And it's between, between that and the August lock, it's, it's awesome not to have to regularly carry around keys. Mm going to caution you on that august lock <laughs> <clears throat> have you gotten a hide a key rock yet uh not yet but i i i did replace the batteries in my lock recently <laughs> so, you, so you bought yourself three months 
Um, what else do we have? Um, do you want to give me the the first number and how many digits were in your total Amazon spend thing? No. Oh, come on. Well, can you, okay. So I'm going to have you put this in the notes at least. Um, the apparently there's a way to there's some hidden reporting feature built deep inside Amazon for like business customers to figure out their total spend. Uh, that allows you to see uh, to get a CSV file of your entire purchase history and kind of figure out how much you spend on Amazon. And yeah, yeah, my number wasn't shocking, and it was I would say largely in line with what I expected it to be, but was still. Yeah, but that has no context. <laughs> like not, a, not a number I'm super proud of. You, you, you did a Mitt Romney. You said a lot of words that do technically <laughs> mean something, but literally do not get us any closer to the answer. Um, uh, yeah. We got anything else, or do you want to keep it a short show? Um, I guess let's scan through the links here. Um, well, tell me, what's what's the G Force? Like, I I honestly don't know what that is. Is this a Stadia Stadia competitor? I don't know what this is. It is, um, but the key difference with it is you can play games that you um, have already purchased. So the, the by far and away the worst part of Google Stadia is the fact that. You have to buy games specifically for that platform. But what's awesome with GeForce Now is you can hook right into your Steam library and just play games that you've already purchased. So if you have a like Windows-only game that you want to play on the Mac, or if you just have kind of an older computer that you'd like to be able to um, run games at a higher resolution on then GeForce Now lets you do that without having to like rebuy the game. And I, I had tried the beta for this, um, I don't know, a couple years ago now at this point, and it seemed like it worked pretty well. Um, I'm not really at a point in my life now where like I'm <laughs> clamoring to play a bunch of video games, but nonetheless, I think the the tech here is really interesting. And even cooler, I think the business model makes a ton of sense. So I'm I'm really interested to see um, how this goes. Can you tell me? Because the the reason I, I I was super skeptical and kind of just like skimmed over the the headline and didn't even bother opening the articles, isn't there a thing called the Nvidia Shield? Yes, that's not successful, is it? I think it's like, I think it's found sort of like kind of a niche enthusiast audience where i think it's like a really good plex server and a couple of other things like people have found ways to use it like maybe not for its original use but i I don't think it's like an outright failure or anything well that's that's where i kind of glossed over this where like i know google always like they they will start a big project with a bunch of fanfare and eventually they will um the, uh, the bay area's favorite word they will sunset it whenever it didn't manage to find product market fit but like that's where I I don't think, like, is Nvidia the company that has all the resources to make this work? Like, why if Microsoft or Sony isn't doing it, why will Nvidia be successful at this? Like, I don't know. This just feels like something that's gonna be kind of a weird side project that's not gonna, like, as for Microsoft or Sony, or even to a lesser extent, uh, is it Valve, the company that owns Steam? Yes. Like, that's their whole thing, where, yeah, I, I, I just don't think, 
this is going to find an audience because I just don't think people think of NVIDIA that way. But again, I'm not a gamer, so I have no idea. I still think the idea of streaming games like this is super interesting. It's just tech and business models have gotten in the way, particularly with Stadium. And so I I just really want to see how a service that works reliably and is affordable and makes sense financially. I just want to see how that does. And I I think this has a chance to to be that. Well, but we'll see. Yeah. And I guess to round things out, a uh, friend of the show, Ming-Chi Kuo, had a thing where apparently uh in the in the first half of the year um that those air tags or the whatever the uh, Apple's um Sherlocking of tile, they those are apparently going to come out along with um a first party wireless charger and a couple other things but that that seems the wireless charging thing do you do you think apple would ever go back to the well on that one after air power like even if it's a less ambitious product and it's just a here's a a white charging pad that's from apple and costs 119 dollars because of course it does like do you think they would do that Maybe, but I think the more important question is who cares? Like I, I know I went on this rant already when we talked about air power, but people's weird obsession over Apple creating a wireless charging mat is so weird because like Qi charging stuff is a dime a dozen. There's a bunch of really, really affordable, awesome options out there. Like I just, I don't, even like that, like the the options that Apple sell directly sometimes are a little overpriced. And I mean, I I say that as someone who owns that Apple Watch and you know iPhone charger from my bedside. That's you know probably more than I needed to pay, but is really nice. But like, I just I don't I don't know why why there's so much excitement around that when there's already such good solutions out there. Yeah, I I just think Apple resents selling things in their store that aren't made by them. I guess yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I think it's mostly that the the part that I, the thing that just can um, that are the most curious to me is is are those the AirTag things? I I don't know. Hmm. I just I'm not sure what the the value proposition is there. It seems like for for a company that seems to be very choosy with what they will make and like where I still kind of think it was a mistake for them to get out of the router market and now that Amazon owns Eero, that seems not great. Like, uh, why is this the thing? Like, because it doesn't feel like these are going to be the new AirPods. So, yeah, I, I, I don't get the fervor around that product. Yeah, unless there's some software story or features that we're just not thinking of, I don't, I don't really get the excitement either. And then lastly, a 13-inch MacBook Pro with scissor switch keyboard may launch in the first half of 2020. And knowing my luck, it will like require 90 watts of power, and then the white <laughs> whale will be, go back to sea. <laughs> There we go. The yeah. show title. Yeah, so I was going to say, if that's not on the show title list, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah. All right, Chef Specials. Let's do it. What you got? So I've, I've got a good one. I've been Ooh. saving this one until I had a little more experience with it. That's a little bit of a bigger purchase, so I wanted to make sure I was you know making a good recommendation for people. Um, so this is the... Um, Breville Barista Express BES 870 XL. And it's kind of the um, 
kind of everybody's like favorite entry level espresso machine. Like I'm sure, you know, the, the real like hardcore espresso people would kind of scoff at like an all-in-one machine like this. You know, they want their own separate grinder and yeah, et cetera, et cetera. But um, for kind of newbies like me with this stuff, the all-in-one unit is kind of, it's, it's perfect. Um, it's nice and compact, really, really well designed. Um, seems to be really high quality. Like the grinder is really nice. Um, all the buttons are really nice. Um, it's got some super smart storage on the bottom of it for kind of all the different accessories and stuff. Um, was really easy to kind of get started with. Um, looks great. Um, been just just super happy with it as as a kind of a casual um espresso drinker um it's been it's been a lot of fun to kind of do that stuff on my own at home kind of like in the way that you've talked about your kind of interest in pour over coffee recently like i feel like that's sort of um how i feel now with um this espresso machine interesting have you bought yourself any uh coffee stencils uh, no, I, you know, I, to be honest, I actually have not done a lot with, um, the milk frother yet. Cause I don't, I don't really drink a lot of, um, um, like lattes and stuff. I, I'm usually just drinking like straight espresso. So I haven't, haven't done a lot with that yet. Hmm. I haven't done a latte with it yet. Mm. Okay, cool. Um, when you have time, can you measure the size of it? Excluding the little top mounted grinder thingy would be very interested when you have time to do that. Okay. Cause my, my, I, this is the one, it was this one and the Breville, uh, uh, barista touch that I was looking at, but my kitchen cabinets have a height clearance of 16 and a half inches. And I think with the grinder, it was too tall, which is why I never got it. Right. So, but I now have a separate grinder. So if you can measure that, that'd be great. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean this, this thing, um it's got the hot water dispenser which is really nice for like you know if you want to you get fancy and you want to warm up your little espresso mug um the top of it actually also acts as like a little warming tray um yeah the whole thing is just it's really really smartly designed and it's it's a lot smaller than you think it would be like in a good way like i was kind of worried that it was going to be this just a gargantuan machine because since it like literally has everything built right into it, but it's actually like it's nice and compact. Hmm. Um, yeah, great, great machine. Neat. Uh, which uh, do you have a brand of beans you've been using? The um, uh, the lady friend's dad got us uh, a bag of the stuff that he uses for Christmas, and I'm I'm still on that bag. Um, I don't can't can't think of the name of it now, but. Okay. It, it's a some kind of um italian espresso bean <laughs> it's it's the good stuff mm. if i was faster i could google what the good stuff is in italian but i'm just <laughs> la roba buono e no that can't oh no i gotta take out the is damn it yeah la roba buona okay all right, so my pick is uh since you're telling people to go out and buy a 550 dollar espresso machine i'm gonna give i'm gonna give them a free one what what do you use as a notepad on your iPhone? Uh, actually, just the Notes app. 
like you're making like you're about to make an apology on twitter <laughs> exactly yeah it's actually, it's actually pretty good yeah um i'm a big fan so there's two note-taking apps i use I'm, I'm pretty sure i've mentioned bear before and if i haven't i'll save that for another week but there's one app that's been around for literally forever um and i believe it's from the same company or it's own yeah it's owned by automatic which is the company that makes wordpress it's called simple note and it's a really just bare bones dead simple app that runs on os 10 and on ios and it it synchronizes which is the best part where it solves the problem which i think maybe a lot of people have and don't know the solution to it which is i just want to get some text from my mac to my iphone and not have to do anything with it and simple note does that where i can just create a new note paste in whatever i think i'm going to need when i'm running out the house and it's just there and it never fails the synchronization is perfect doesn't cost anything doesn't have in-app purchases doesn't have ads doesn't have anything it's just the simplest app in the world and it has never failed me so simple note is what i'm going to recommend for simple notes (laughs) it's right in the name Mm -hmm. 